When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. On the show today, we have the wonderful Sarah Lacey. She is the CEO and founder of Chairman Me. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? I'm so excited to see you. I'm so excited to see you too. Since obviously I haven't seen you in person in a very long time, you being on the West Coast, me on the East, but also, you know, once in a while on a Zoom and it still has been far too long. So thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Uh, So let's start off by first, I mean, there's a lot to um, tell about your past and um, we have, there's a lot of juicy tidbits. I'm sure that everyone would like to know, but um, first let's start with what chairman me is, and then we can talk about how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's see, you may know as chairman mom, we actually started out as chairman mom because, um, much like JJ, I'm one of those people who think being a working mom is something that makes you doubly badass, not pulls at the seams. I I feel like being a founder and CEO of my own company, chairman of my own company, which actually most women, even who are the CEO, don't get to be the chairman. um, I felt like that was something I was incredibly, incredibly proud of. And I felt like being a mom was something I was incredibly proud of. And so chairman mom was like the two titles that I relished the most that I'd worked and fought for the most. And I wanted to, you know, put them out there and brag about my professional accomplishments and brag about my gorgeous children. And I felt we wanted to basically reclaim how powerful being a working mom is. What we noticed in building this community, so we wanted to like build a community is basically the opposite of the rest of the internet for working women. But really who we cared about were like women like you. We cared about the women, like no offense, we don't care about your boss. We don't, but like your children are awesome, but we're not here for your children. We're not here for your pets or your spouse. We're here for you. So most things with mom in the name really want to serve your spouse or your kids. And you're kind of this conduit by which we're reaching and making their lives better. Or you're just making your life easier because the vacuum's better. The cleaning supplies are better. So you can, you know, have more time for your kids or husband. Right. Or like, here's a way you can spend all this extra money and time getting your kids in camps. It's like, that's not serving me. And so we were like, we noticed this weird disconnect where even like the first year we were in business, like 30% of our audience weren't moms. And as we like 
grew and got bigger and bigger. It was like as much as like 40% of our audience weren't moms because most, I mean, how sad is this? Most things that have mom in the name are really donated, like devoted to your kids and not you. And like, turns out men, you know, uh, non-binary folks, uh, women who've just made a life decision to never have children. Like they also were fighting the patriarchy. They also needed a non-toxic community. So we rebranded as Chairman Me, really just to reflect what we were, because we kept having people kind of apologetically being like, I love what you do, but I don't have children. Can I be here? And we were like, yes, Queen. By the way, no one has ever said to me, I'm not a chairman of my own company. Can I join? We have so much baggage around the word mom still. And, yeah. you know, we got to we gotta still work on that problem. But basically, we created this incredible community where you could come and ask questions about the things that you were the most worried about that maybe you didn't have anyone else to talk to and um, you could do so anonymously. There were, there we were, I don't know, four years into business, thousands and thousands and thousands of question and answer threads. We've never had a single flag toxic comment. We do not have trolls in the platform. You know, it's really an incredible, lovely community. But when the pandemic hit, obviously our core audience was just colossally let down by society and completely screwed over. So we went really deep with our audience and we were like, what do y'all need? What do y'all need? And so we started getting into this, building these online courses, which where we find like the best people on earth. And we give you, I mean, a lot of these are like coaches there, you know, we have a course in negotiation coming up. There's this incredible woman who has decades of research on how women can negotiate effectively without falling into the double bind and having backlash. Like we will find the best people on earth who typically charge thousands of dollars an hour because they're of your school and you should get paid your full worth. And you'll get six to eight weeks of their time and coaching and an incredible community environment, which you can do at your own pace. And it's like our courses are between $600 and like $1,800. So like really driving a lot of the value of like what the one percent of career women have access to sort of for everyone right. and that like really unlocked a lot of growth for us so like in 2020 we 15x revenue grew because women who weren't at the very 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 top of the food chain who didn't have massive corporate budgets to pay for everything they needed to level up or were those few women who were sort of led into the old boys network and had all the answers suddenly had access to like the, you know, the keys to the, to the queendom, if you will. So now I just build incredible, incredible online courses and we watch them change women's lives every month. Yeah. Amazing. So what, so it's a community Mm -hmm. of women for the most part, right? Yeah. And non-binary people as well. And it's all about your career and it's all highlighting and up-leveling and how you can as internally in like a patriarchal system and externally as like a founder and building your own. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the only thing I would say is a little bit different is it's not only about your career because so much of what makes like our core value is we think every woman should have the right to live the life she wants to live. And that is sadly like a, a radical statement and belief in, right. in this world and yeah. in this country. I mean, we yeah. don't even let women have autonomy over their own bodies. Like that's dramatic. So like yes. the fact that we can have our own lives. And so, you know, in order to do that, there's a lot of things in at work. Um, if you're a founder, I mean, we know about 3% of venture capital goes to women. The odds get even worse. Um, there's a lot of things in the professional world that are going to thwart you, but there's a lot of things in your family. There's a lot of things in your dynamic, maybe your church, maybe your community, maybe where you grew up. So a lot of our courses are really also about 
unpacking all of the life stuff. Cause it's really that combination of work and life where women have their dreams derailed. So for instance, like, you know, this are two courses in January, we're doing this incredible course on negotiation um, with this expert who's incredible. We're also doing this course called Finding Flow, which is about, um, which is about non-judgmental, non-diet culture fitness. Fitness for the joy of moving, not for fitting into the male gaze. And it's totally about like rethinking all of the um, the toxic messages around fitness. We have another course in February that's about nutrition. It's like, let's learn to love food again. Let's heal this rift with food. And it's like, why does that matter for us living our full lives? Because like, we need to turn off all of the internalized depression, self-hate narratives yeah. that are taking us out. So it's really like work life, all of it. We want you to be happy and whole on both sides of it. Like we have a, a course we do twice a year that's about like witchcraft and domestic arts. It's right. like just really unlike Locking that power that we've been like gaslit out of as women for centuries. So we, we do stuff that's all across the board of work and life. I love it. And you've been around for four years. It's launched four years ago. Something already? like that. Yeah. I think that's when you're insane. in the middle of these things, you're like, when did it start? How old are my children? Right. Um, yeah. I think we started um, about four years ago and, you know, but it was really in the pandemic where like the growth like really exploded. And now we're just kind of trying to, to keep up. I love it. Amazing. Um, well, you're a great woman for this, having been through so much in your past as far as discrimination against you as a woman. So let's get a little bit more into how you got here and like what you did before this. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I moved to Silicon Valley uh, in my early 20s when the dot-com bubble was peaking and um, had an incredible 20-plus uh, year career as an investigative journalist that wove through um, being a reporter at Business Week, writing three books, you know, traveling the world and uncovering entrepreneurship stories throughout Africa, South America, you know, all over the place, and then helping build TechCrunch, selling that. And then uh, when I was giving birth to my first child, Ariana Huffington took away my job promotion that was supposed to be happening at TechCrunch. So I took my baby and went up and down Sand Hill Road and raised two and a half million dollars to start Pando, which was a very um, aggressive sort of insider, but also <laughs> aggressive. Uh, investigative journalism company that covered Silicon Valley sort of from the inside out and all the things that people didn't want to talk about. Cause like, why do you not want to talk about them? Because there's billions of dollars at stake. And when you start exposing this stuff, there's shit tons of threats, there's shit, personal threats, death threats, legal threats. It is not a comfortable life. So I did that. It was with then, a newborn. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then it's like, I had, I raised money and then six months later got pregnant with my second and then got divorced. So like single mom, doing that. It was a time to remember, but it was incredible. And this was really at the beginning. We're still in this wave where people were very enamored with tech and thought tech could do no wrong. It was a very different time than we're in now. And Panda was really one of the leading voices, not necessarily in saying all tech is bad. I think all binaries are just bullshit. But in saying like, hey, let's look at some of the human toll that's coming out of this disruption that everyone's so excited about. And, you know, that was really uncomfortable and it was really radical, but we had a massive impact on the world. So we kind of finally got to a point where the narrative had changed. Everyone was kind of covering that story. We were now at a point where it was like... Um, 
you know, where it frankly had become just not satisfying to be a journalist. It's a really, really hard job. If you're a woman, um, it's even harder because they really try to destroy you in different ways. And, you know, I was already bought in on the idea of, okay, no one's going to like me. My job is to constantly be hated. If you're doing your job well as a journalist, right? everyone hates you. And so it's like, okay, I'm okay with not making a lot of money. I'm okay with being hated. I'm okay with working, you know, 80 hour weeks and running all over the place and trying to dig up the truth and digging through documents. All that I was okay with, but what changed with journalism, you know, it is the Trump era, but that the Trumpism is also deeply in the libertarian wing of Silicon Valley. So we've seen this, it's not just politics, but this idea of, no, I reject those facts. And so I found like increasingly I'm putting myself out there. I'm risking my family's safety. I'm risking my, my health in some cases. I'm not making any money to expose and bring the truth to people because I believe in that as a journalist. And then either I'm preaching to the choir or there's people who are like, fake news, don't care don't want to read it. And I was like, okay, then I'm out. And so I just hit a point where I was like, okay, we've, we've kind of done the things we wanted to do. We've told the stories we wanted to tell. Everyone else has sort of now jumped on the bandwagon of let's question tech. Great. We're out closed Pando done with journalism, something I thought I'd never be done with. And then, um, Meantime, I'd started having these dinners in my house every month with female founders and female um, VCs. And this was when a lot of the Me Too movement stuff was coming out. So we were all sort of, it was like a lot of the behind the scenes conversations that were leading to a lot of things coming out, but also support for women were like happening in my dining room every month. And I was seeing like the power of women really getting together and having those connections. And I was like, why can't we scale this online? Why does this still have to happen? happen in dining rooms, you know, and we just really believed that like you could build a non-toxic community for women online, which was a contrarian idea. People were like, no, women are so bitchy and so catty and they're going to hate each other. But like that was all engineered into the internet. Facebook did that because it wanted us to fight so it could sell us more pampers. We don't wake up in the morning wanting to tear each other down. Men have engineered that into the software so that it happens. And so I was just like, but then I was like, how do I scale dinner parties in my dining room? Because that was what was giving me a lot of value and frankly, driving more change than continuing to try to, you know, risk my kid's life exposing stuff. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, look, that's been in films, you know, women tearing each other down, competing for men to the reality shows and like all of that. So forever, it's this big like, well, women, they just want to turn. That's not true. That's not true at all. Like, And the degree it is true, it's because we've been baited into it. I mean, if you work at a company and there's a signal sent from day one, there's going to be one female executive, then yeah, it does turn zero sum, but it doesn't have to be zero sum. Exactly. Right. When there's one, you know, if you can see, you can be, you see that one office that a woman is and you think that's the only office that she can be in, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I was having a conversation with somebody recently and a man, and he was like, I just don't think of it in terms of men versus women. I said, that's the luxury of you that you have. You don't yeah. have to think, you don't have to think of it that way because yeah. you aren't the one that's the only and the other. And you like, you have no idea. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah. Uh, okay, so then you st- you had all of these. I remember you were having these like dinners, and I was super jealous. I didn't live on that coast to be like, <laughs> I want to be in that room. And then from there, you birthed Chairman Mom, and you know, or Chairman Me rather, Chairman mm-hmm. Mom to ter- Chairman Me. And so you raised money for that, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. and it was so funny. You know, I for a long time, and this is why I think 
you know, it's not just only women get ahead. It's diversity within teams is what pushes yeah. you, right? Because I do think, you know, I had the benefit of like my longtime business partner and also now life partner, Paul is a white man. And so I remember when we were talking about birthing, um, then chairman mom, now chairman me. And I was like, you know what, let's not raise capital. I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't have to go pitch it. There's, you know, I pissed off so many people in Silicon Valley. I was like, I don't want to even deal with this anymore. And then I was just like, let's just bootstrap it. Let's just whatever. And, um, you know, we didn't really have money. And he was like, Sarah, he's like, first of all, this is a massive, massive opportunity. And so people are going to be thrilled to invest. Um, second of all, you literally are going to put yourself in years of financial hardship because you don't want to every six weeks have a phone call with a board. He was like, step back and think about what you're doing. And I was like, and this is the thing. This is, I'm not saying that's the only reason we raised 2% of venture capital, but that internal gaslighting, which is all from, I don't know, are they going to say no? Am I going to be good enough? Are they going to be mean in the board meetings? I'm putting myself out there. It's like, there's so much gaslighting, even for someone like me who had raised capital a billion times, knew I could, new people out here. And so fortunately, you know, this, I had, you know, a white man at my side. It was like, Hey, let's think like a white man, go get the money. We've raised, you know, millions in capital. We've had incredibly supportive investors. And I'm happy to talk more about the gender dynamics there because by and large, it's male VCs who've kept us in business, not female VCs. Um, We have one incredible, incredible female VC on our board and live from bullpen capital. Who's a massive exception, but we would not be here if it had not been for men. Right. And why do you think that is? There's a lot of good reasons and there's a lot of, or there's a lot of understandable reasons and there's a lot of like sad reasons. So I think a lot of it is if you look at, you know, there's kind of been this wishful thinking slash lie that's been perpetuated that the way to change the amount of money going to women means more women need to be writing checks. And there was some early research that showed that if women were at venture funds, they did fund more women as a rule. So there is reason to think this might be the case. Unfortunately, it hasn't. And in fact, the more women who have gone into those roles, the less money that has gone for women. So what's happening? Look at the roles the women are going in at these firms. Either they're um, a partner who is the new partner who has a chip on, not a chip on the shoulder because that sounds negative, but is coming in having to prove a lot. Because let's say you're Sequoia Capital and Mike Moritz just went out and said, oh, we don't want to hire women because we don't want to lower the bar. And then there was a massive backlash and suddenly Sequoia has got to hire a woman. How do you think the partners view that woman coming in there? Exactly. How do you right. think, you know, and, and, and not to perform at 130%. And exactly. So it's like, like if you think about in- the nature of venture capital, these are sometimes five men who are mm-hmm. controlling billions in assets. Yeah. So you're the one female voice. That maybe some people at that firm kind of feel like was forced on them by their LPs or the media. And so what's your role is that one? First of all, you don't have as much swag or power to force a deal through. Every deal you do is going to be scrutinized because you need two years to prove you're good at this game. It takes about that long to know if you're good as a VC. And now everyone's coming to you with the female deals which are like yoga pants and leggings, which are not the companies that wind up being career makers. Those are Google, Facebook tech companies. And so you feel this war within yourself if you want to support women, but you also want to do the big deals because you also know odds are if you support a woman, she's not going to get as much follow on capital. You're going to have to carry her further 
do you have the juice in your partnership to do that? You are hurting your immediate returns by only backing women. Mm -hmm. So if you're a woman who's already come into a role and you feel like you're on fragile footing, you're on thin ice within your partnership, there's a lot of expectation on you. The self-interested thing would be not to fund women. So women are taking the self-interested path is the answer to your question, or they're running seed funds and seed funds are awesome, but seed is the easiest round to raise as a woman because a seed investor is just going to do a bunch of $20,000 checks. And so they're looking for reasons to say yes, anything beyond a seed, those investors are doing, I don't know, four, six, 10 deals a year, and they're seeing thousands. So they're looking for every reason to say no. So there is such a fall off between seed and the next round. And if all the female, all the LPs are like, let's fund this female fund, and they're putting it all in seed, they're setting up a lot of women to raise a seed deal, to quit their jobs, to start something. And there is no capital once they've found product market fit and want to grow. And so that's the gulf where these companies are all dying. Right. I mean... It's even hard, though, for women to get seed fund rounding in a lot of cases, though, too. You it know? is. It is. But it's wow. disproportionately easier than yeah. any other round. Right. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, 2%. Like, there's there's nothing. There's nothing. If you look at any other stats, other than the wealth gap for a white man and a Black woman, which Sally Krawcheck was just telling me it's a penny, a Black woman has a penny of wealth for a white man, like there's such a difference between pay gap and wealth gap. But other than that, what can you even think of in our society where there is a 98% gender tax? And that's for white women looking to raise capital. Like it's, it is staggering. Again, talking to Sally Krawcheck, master of the universe in terms of finance. Every single time I talk to her, she is struggling to raise capital. Oh, I know. She's always struggling to raise money, which is ridiculous. Like it's, she was on the cover of like magazines as like, you know, and a finance guru and like yeah. crazy. Yeah. And by the way, if she was not building Elvest, if she was building a company that was for men, she wouldn't be struggling to raise money. Probably not. It's yeah. the combination of running a business as a woman and running a business for women. Because I will tell you when I raise money for Pando, literally investigative journalism, never returns capital, not a good category to invest in. And I went to investors and said, like, look, we're not going to be doing listicles. We're not going to like, you are probably not going to see a return because like, this is real journalism and real journalism has generally not returned capital in the digital age. I was very upfront, you know, oh, 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 so much money from so many billionaires because they wanted it to exist because they wanted to read Pando. They wanted it to exist. So they put money and they were happy to take a flyer on it. Right. Chairman me. Very different situation. Did they want the patriarchy to destroyed? Did they want their wife to start questioning why she's not living her best life? We yeah. literally had one of my mentors. Um, I don't know if I, I'll say who she is. Uh, Amy Arrett, who runs Madison Reed, who I just adore, who's like one of my mentors as a woman raising capital. She was looking through our deck at one point and said, oh my God, you need to take this screenshot of someone asking a question about how to arrange their assets and get legal protection before asking for a divorce. She's like, you need to take that out of your slide deck because there's no man who will ever give you a check if you're helping women solve that problem. And I was like, wow, you have like out cynical me. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's so I say sad. Actively, many people actively actively want me to fail for personal reasons, but also want our mission to fail. We're, so it's like we had even a tax on us in raising capital beyond just, you know, yoga pants, which like I'm wearing yoga pants. I love yoga pants. I'm not, you know, denigrating anyone who builds a company around yoga pants, but that fits into the white male gaze. That is what a white male VC who decides he's going to fund a woman. He's like, oh, that makes sense to me. Women love yoga pants. I love women when women wear yoga pants they don't want women to tear down the patriarchy no of course not. if they wanted us to be a part of the patriarchy we would be their own power they would you know they would they would cede power that's never happening no. um so wait how long did it take you then ultimately to raise the money um well so that i mean again the seed round was easy the seed round was a couple of weeks it was oversubscribed it's been everything since then and i will say we were um So there's this weird thing in Silicon Valley, and this has been happening ever since I'm here. The name of the rounds constantly changes. And I think that they do this to just make people feel like dumbasses if they're not in the game. So like you used to get um, an angel round and then you got your series A and like series A is like, you know, institutional capital first round. They used to be the first round when I moved here. Now, fast forward 20 years later, you have your pre-seed round, you have your seed round, you have your seed extension then you have your seed plus, and then you have your A. So your A is the fifth round you raise. And the only reason I get so wonky is because like, I'm, I can answer that question and tell you, but we've literally had four rounds with seed in them. We wouldn't be a B or a C and what venture capital was years ago. It's completely stupid, but the simplicity sake, getting that pre-seed round, I made two phone calls. It was oversubscribed getting our seed round did a bunch of meetings, mostly we had a lot of yeses, but a lot of smaller money yeses. And then one uh, VC, Tim Connors, who's incredible, who was at um, Sequoia and USVP for many years. And then was like, I hate what venture capital is turning into, started his own fund. He is the only GP. It's 10x oversubscribed. He, it's, he's been incredibly successful. It won't take more money because he likes the way he invests. He does one deal a quarter, takes 20% and stays on the board until the company goes public. So he is very like how venture capital used to be done. He said, yes, he oversubscribed our round. And then um, Charles Hudson was had led our seed round of precursor. And so Tim Connors and Charles Hudson, literally after our seed round, our second seed round, that was when it got hard. Yeah, that was when it got hard, and it was like the two of them just kept writing us checks. They just kept writing us checks because they believed in the mission, they believed in our team, and they knew we had a really good business. It just wasn't getting rewarded in the market because of the mission and because of what our team looked like. And right. so they went way over pro rata, way over pro rata, continuing to write us checks and keep us in business. And that's the difference in why we're still sitting here and why most female founded companies fail is we had two male investors who had a lot of juice in their own partnerships and deep pockets and were able to do that. Now, after we grew like 15x in the pandemic, suddenly much easier to raise capital. That's when we raised our round that um, and bullpen led, you know, I imagine in another year, 18 months, we'll sort of raise the big honking a that is ego to everyone. And then it'll be oversubscribed because we've been through the hard part. And then people, once you get to the hard part as a woman, they're like, Oh, this is the female founded deal I can invest in. But the problem is every VC knows female or male, there's no FOMO. You will always struggle. Yeah. Sally Krawcheck struggles. You will yeah. always struggle. So they will not put money in until it's a sure thing because they know they can get in later and they don't care about overpaying. The reason some a male founded deal gets, you know, these hot valuations before they're a sure thing 
is they might miss out in the future, but women will always struggle to raise money. So they'll wait, they'll wait and wait and wait. And then the company dies. So then what does the VC think? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't fund that. It was a shit deal. Why are women such bad entrepreneurs? So then it reinforces this pattern recognition lizard brain thing that keeps more women out of it. It's such a fucked up cycle. So, I mean, you know, we started the podcast to give people like great advice so they can do it. So what, you know, know, what's the answer? I mean, because you're having all this issue and yes, you are in, you're in Silicon Valley. You know, so many people like yeah. there, you know, even me being in New York and the network I have, I don't know anybody if I wanted to raise money, like, you know, what, and it was hard for you. So well, what's the answer? How do you, how do we so change? I think, I think it's a few things. I think, um, the scariest thing that I, uh, scariest piece of advice I hear young women say and giving one another is to network with women and build these communities of women and only go to women. I think you are, if you think about the fact that the vast majority of capital is controlled by men, you are putting yourself in a hole from day one. And so I think, you know, being very um, gender blind in terms of who your ideal investors are is just survival. I mean, because again, if I'd only gone to women out of business. So I think, you know, and just like kind of, you know, thinking outside the box and trying to um, think about, you know, who you think, I mean, there's so much I can say about fundraising, but the reason I went, so Tim Connors, who has been our biggest and deep pocket, most deep pocketed investor, Tim Connors is not known for funding things like chairman mom. He He tends to do, he does some consumer, but he does a lot of enterprise deals. And I remember saying to Charles, what do you think about Tim Connors? And I kind of knew him somewhat, but I didn't know him like really, really well. And he was like, Tim's great, but I don't see how this is a Tim deal. And I was like, you know what I've noticed? Every time I post something about toxic masculinity, he's the first white male VC to like it or share it. And it was really that insight. It was like, there's something about Tim Connors that also wants to dismantle the patriarchy. Right. And I just, it was that insight. And it was, then it's like asking. And so I pinged him and was like, Hey, I want to talk to you about this company I'm building. He got really excited about it. And here we are today. And yeah. it's like, so it's like just, and that was like something I noticed over Facebook, right? That wasn't even someone that I knew really well. So I think some of it is just like queuing into those insights. I've had so many women ask me if you're trying to raise money for a, like a, something that's essentially a cause, like, you know, I have a friend who's building like a wealth management for investing in like female fund managers. Like if you're trying to do something that's like changing the makeup of society for the better, do you use guilt and shame to try to get white male money in the door? And I don't think you use guilt and shame, but I think you find the people who also want it to be better and want ways to use their privilege to make the world better. And I think you make that case to them that they're going to be part of the solution if they do this. So I think some yeah. of it is finding those people. And then if they don't, then you use the guilt and shame, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's always like, the the guilt and shame. It's like, but I it's like, you, there's a course that we teach called getting to aha. That's basically about using neuroscience to get people to say yes to things. And if you think about what that does, it's all really about using storytelling and honing in on what is going to make that person say yes. And what's going to make that person say yes is probably not a single metric in your deck. Um, what's going to make that person say yes is that yes is going to make them feel better about themselves and yeah. make them feel be- like they're living up to their ideals. 
Right. Um, and so I think it's just, you got to understand the psychology. You've got to understand the strategy. Cause it's like, we don't have the advantage of just being a dude from Stanford or who walks in and gets the deal. So you've got to bring like all of these other weapons and tools to the fight. But for me, I always tell women not to be afraid of, to be polarizing. I raised money because I'd spent 20 years being incredibly polarizing. If I had been like the nice, good girl, I wouldn't have gotten a cent of money. People knew I was willing to take on fights. People knew my name. People knew I had a brand. People knew I wasn't going to back down. And there are so many billions of dollars who would love for me to fail and will people who will never invest in me. But on the flip side, there's so many Tims and Charles and Anns and lots of other people who are like, you know, no, I know what you stand for. And I know how hard you're going to work. And I know how hard you're going to push. And we need more people like you. We just got oh, an yeah. investor who's a billionaire who does not do angel investing or seed investing at all. And I wish I could tell you who it is. I cannot say it because he's like, I've said no to people for the last 10 years. And if people know I invested in you, they're all going to come back and yell at me because he's just said, I don't do it. I don't do it. I don't do it. I'm using my wealth for other things. But this person literally invested in us because he was like, I hate Silicon Valley. I hate the culture of Silicon Valley as much as I've benefited from it. And we need people like you tearing down the wall changing the pattern, creating opportunities and being that person you can see for other people. That money is out there. Those people are out there. You got to find them. And the clues are everywhere. Look on social media. Look at what they're liking. Look at what they're sharing. Use that to get that commitment out of them. Yeah. um, No, that's really good advice. I mean, I think, you know, going back to like, yes, you should open up all of your raising money to everybody, you know, and, and at the same time, you have things like chairman me to have your tribe of women to help give you advice and see, you know what I mean? And give you that confidence and knowing what you can do and what, you know, things have worked and, and might not work, et cetera. So, I mean, I think it's a combination, right? Um, yeah. I mean, you yeah. need your equivalent of the old boys network. Like men don't yeah. do this alone. Men have a ton of help. And this is one thing I love that you said the first time I ever talked to you. And I think about it all the time. I, I repeat this all the time. Like you are one of those people. It's like, I can't imagine you ever having like an insecure day. Like you're such a baller. You're so convinced of your own wealth. You're so amazing. But you know, yeah, we've all had the same gaslighting. And I love that. Like when you had your kids, you were like, I might not be good at advocating for myself, but I'm an incredible lawyer who's great at advertising, like advocating for my clients and my clients are now my children and I'm going to go. And it's like, that's the thing, whether you're finding that motivation from your kids, whether it's your cause, like the reason I'm going to go raise money and do whatever, because it's like literally every single day, we are changing thousands of women's lives by building this company. And so it's like, I want to keep changing. I know, I know the faces of the women I'm going to let down if we go out of business. So whether it's your mission, your customers, your children, your best friend, it's like, we need those people around us to constantly cut through that self gaslighting, which is like the patriarchy's most effective weapon of you telling yourself you're not worth it or stop pushing or whatever it is. And it's 90% of like it being like the difference in how you talk to a friend versus how you talk to yourself. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember when, like running into people from the music industry and they're like, oh my God, what are you doing? Cause it's like COVID everything's been quiet. And I'm like, Oh, I'm doing, you know, I'm basically, I have a, you know, strategy business development consulting firm and a law firm, but I only represent women. They're like, Oh, how's that working out? <laughs> like the music industry is 
so gross. It's so antiquated. It is like, it makes like finance look like, you know, chairman me. And it is, they are, it's just so backwards. I was like, oh my God. But that's what it takes. It does take these allies because, you know, when you are working in something with just women, I will say like, there's a lot of days where the confidence is like, oh my God, I can't do this. Like, I cannot believe how we're treated, you know, being an advocate for women. Yeah against employers and watching them now at this time, like firing women because they're pregnant or saying, you know what? You don't need to raise your husband makes money. Like this is now these things happen. I'm telling you they happen. And if you complain about wanting more money, they will fire you. And if you do not have the, you know, whatever that strength to challenge them and go after them and hire a litigator, you'll accept that. Yeah. And that's what sucks, you know, because sometimes we just don't have the capacity from a myriad of reasons. So, you know, it is really hard. So, I mean, I know, and I applaud you, we're now all approaching, you know, three years at the justice department and it can be exhausting and hard, but like, we're doing it for a bigger purpose. We're doing it yeah. for our, our kids, not only our girls, but our boys, you know? Well, and it's like every, win you have every, win one of your clients has is so disproportionately powerful because like, it's not just about that person having more money and everyone else saying they have that more money and other people being like, Oh, that could be me. And other men being like, Oh, this person deserves this. Like, it's not just the ripple effects of that one person, but it's like the more wealth we control, the better, the more like, it's just, we need like, and and we need to be in this mindset of like abundance and not zero song. Yeah. And the, I'll how- tell you what the biggest, and I just, I have brought her up three times now, so she's going to appear, but the biggest thing that like Sally and I talked about when we caught up um, a few weeks ago is this was the most frust- the biggest frustration I have as a female founder, biggest frustration, worse than venture capital, worse than the hours, worse than any other shit. Women will not invest in themselves. It mm-hmm. is so hard. Oh God, it's mine for too. Me to sell to women to invest in this negotiation course we're teaching. Literally the woman gets paid a thousand dollars an hour and on average gets women a 30% increase in salary. We will give you full credit on a future course. If that doesn't happen, this is as de-risk as possible. And you're like getting 12 weeks of her time for the equivalent of one hour of her time in her coaching business, which she's booked out. You can't even get her anywhere. Like, it is like men would die for this. Men would be falling all over themselves to give you the money for this. I know because when I was like running things like Pando and TechCrunch, we sold things that were far less value in terms of events online or offline that for way more men would fall all over themselves to pay yeah. for it. Women, it's like, I have to send 40 marketing emails for a woman to be like, Okay, I'm worth it. And I talked to Sally about this. I was like, how do you do it? Because I struggle. My biggest challenge yeah. is getting women to invest in themselves. I, it doesn't no, matter I, how many testimonials I mean... I'll show you. It doesn't matter how much results I show you. And it's it's it drives me in fighting that internal gaslighting is the hardest thing I do. And she had the same thing. And she's like, no, we had to build. If you look at L, the LVEST app, it's like, do you want a baby? Do you want to travel? Do you want to own a business? She's like, we had to get goals focused with them because just investing in your retirement and not being penniless and not being dependent on a man. She's like, women are like, I'll get to it later. I don't want to do it now. I'm not worth it. Hardest thing we face. 
And no, I, I look, I know it. I like women hire me to negotiate for them because my biggest advice yeah. is don't negotiate for yourself. Hire a woman like mm-hmm. uh, you, I, I hire somebody to do it for you because I will also get you 30 percent more, yeah. you know, and I know that because I've done it over my career. And in some cases, like two and a half times somebody's salary. Oh, I'm sure. Know, because the like, higher up you get. Yeah. Like the level know? of women who are bringing you in, they like the higher you get up, the bigger the delta. So it's like well, you could actually, probably routinely get people seventy percent more. Uh, and so it's shocking to me. I still have like friends that I know are taking C-suite jobs, and they have not hired an attorney, including one of their close friends, to negotiate it for them. And my point is, if, if somebody's hiring you, and you don't hire an, and you're like in a C-suite position, and you don't hire somebody to negotiate that for you. Do you think that they really think that you're going to negotiate for them? They've already kind of written you off as somebody that yeah. they can do whatever they want with. You know, it's yeah. like, you're not going to negotiate yourself. Then I can do whatever I want. Like, you've got to set the tone when you go in and Ooh, say that like, is so huge. That is so huge. Yes. Um, there's this incredible story that I think about all the time that I heard from, um, uh, Cyrus, the guy who started ZocDoc. I don't know if you know him. He's another New Yorker. Um, anyway, he, Jeff Bezos was on his board and this was like slightly less crazy, you know, bald lifter, Jeff Bezos. This is slightly more normal era of Jeff Bezos, um, before the penis rocket. So anyway, he, Bezos had told him this incredible story when he was trying to like close a hire. Right. And he had said, um, I basically like, he tried to court this guy. The guy was like, no, I'm going to actually go to Pepsi. He called him or Coke. Cause they flew to Atlanta on the story. He called him and was like, I'm sorry. I'm not going to join Amazon. I'm going to Coke. It's, it's done. And basically like, what can I do to change your mind? What can I do? What can I do? And he's like, if the deal's done, the deal's done. It's going to be announced in the wall street journal tomorrow. Like Bezos gets on his, I don't know, penis airplane, then flies to Atlanta, sits down with a guy and is like, no, we're going to make this happen. I'm going to brute force this. And he's like, but it's being announced in the journal. He's like, I can call the journal. I'm Jeff Bezos. He basically breaks down everything this guy has said about why he cannot take the job at Amazon and go back on his word. And so the guy finally capitulates and says, yes. So Jeff Bezos gets back on his penis airplane and like breathes a sigh of relief on his way to Seattle. And then suddenly is stricken with horror because he's like, if that guy was able to be broken down in 12 hours how is he ever going to be effective working for me? And you are, and then he was just like, oh my God, I should, why I wasted all that time. This guy shouldn't work for me. And it's like, even though it's a male on male aggro story, it is this exactly what you're saying. You, they think about, they judge your audition is how you negotiate and how you go after that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If anyone's ever negotiating to buy us or I'm ever in line for a big corporate job, I'm a thousand percent. You're by first phone call because I like, I'm not, no, let's bring in the big guns. Let's bring in Beyonce and Jay-Z's lawyer. Like, come on. (laughs) I love it. Oh my God. So, um, I know now I'm all like amped up for the day. All right. I know we can't have you, uh, and I've already taken up more time. So as you know, everybody, thank you so much for all this advice. It's been amazing. What is one piece of bad advice that you have gotten in your life? God, there's so much. I would say probably the biggest thing is to like, be likable. 
I think that both implicitly and explicitly, like we're told to be likable and like, well, people, you know, people want people who are easy to get along with. This is sales. This is this. To me, it's such bullshit. There's so much power in being polarizing as a woman. And we have a whole like workshop that we do on what it means to be polarizing because being polarizing is not being an asshole. It's a very specific thing. And it's rooted in being consistent, insistent, and persistent. It's rooted in what you stand for. It's rooted in like what's backed up. So it's not just you run around being a jerk. That's not being polarizing, but being polarizing, I think is a superpower for women. And I talk to women who are like, oh, but like, if I'm like that, then someone's not going to write me the check because I'm a troublemaker. And I'm like, they were never going to write you the check. Yeah. They were going to string you al- along for six weeks and waste your time. Yeah. It is so efficient for me to raise capital because I know the handful of billionaires and firms who will not give me money. And so we just sidestep that shit and I go to everyone else. It is an automatic filter. And the other people who haven't written me off when I have tried my hardest (laughs) to get them to hate me, those people really believe in me because that's the flip side of being polarizing. It's an efficient way to weed out the people who are never going to support you. But the people who are left are your like, Die hard fans. So yeah. I think all women need to be more polarizing and be open to it. And they don't want us to be like, there's so much self gaslighting, industry gaslighting, friend gaslighting. Oh my gosh. There was like a young founder started coming to the dinners in my house and all of her friends, she was very the YC community. And all of her friends were like, I don't know if you should hang out with Sarah Lacey. She's really dangerous. She's really dangerous. People aren't going to want to be near you. And it's like, no. she's raising millions of dollars, like own it. Yeah, no, I love it. I think it's good advice too. I mean, you just talked about people who are polarizing like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and, you know, like every billionaire man in Silicon Valley getting ahead by being unpolarizing. Yeah, no one. And it's not to say there's not other risks if you're a woman doing it or a person of color. There absolutely are. So it's like, be smart about it. Like get your, get your group of women who've been there and done that, get your mentors, get, you know, your be, you know, stand for something, do it in a smart way. I think about every single thing I tweet because I had decades of ballywag trolling my social media accounts, making shit up to try to discredit me. Like I've had everyone come at me. And so I get the gender bind that you're in, but I'm still telling you if I had been the nice girl that got along with everyone, I wouldn't have raised a dime of venture capital. Yeah. Well, that has been very enlightening. Thank you so much. What is your worst piece of advice? I feel like I should. Oh my God. Mine was to put my head down and just do the work. Yeah. Of course. So then you can go get all the glory, which they tried to do. And then I was like, I don't think so. Um, thank you so much. If people want to join, find you, how do yeah, they do just that? go to chairmanme.com. And um, if anyone like um, takes a look and sees a course they want to do, they want to have more information, just email Sarah at Chairman Me. Happy to give you more information, happy to give like a special friends of JJ discount. Um, just reach out to me. Like we're all in this together. We're all gonna break down the patriarchy one brick at a time. It feels like it's not possible, but it's super possible. Oh, it's, it's possible if we're all doing it. The majority of us are all doing it. It's possible. Yeah. We got to stop like voting for Trump, but yeah. Yeah. White women (laughs) need to get their head up, but yeah. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thank you so much. I know you enjoyed this episode of taking care of lady business until next time. I'm Jennifer justice.